This is Ethan, and I'm here with Dave, and together we are Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al podcast, episode 52-inch. On this week's episode, we celebrate our first year together and interview the legendary Dr. Demento. It's Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al podcast. It's a podcast about Weird Al. It's Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al podcast. Seriously, the whole podcast is about Weird Al. You don't have to listen, but we're glad you are. Hello, this is Al, and you're listening to Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al podcast. (laughs) Happy anniversary, Dave! Dave, you need to take that noisemaker out of your mouth if you're going to speak. Oh, right. Sorry. What I was saying is, what a great first year we've had. Our one-year anniversary is on May 8th, but this is the last episode of our first year together. Yeah, it's been such an exciting first year. This is our first and only first year that we're ever going to have. Maybe we should do something special for our first anniversary together. Uh, what are you thinking? I figure we can have a big party to celebrate. I can make some Twinkie Wiener sandwiches. I'll make them vegan for you. And I'll mix up some Yankaritas in the blender. We'll head on over to Burrito Burrito and stock up on burritos. Oh, I'll get the Twister board all set up. I'll send out invitations to all of our previous guests. And I'll see if the Leper Colony has any openings. I'll make sure the Super Duper Party Pony Cheese Sandwich will be there. And I'll get all those folks at the CIA to show up. I, I hear they really know how to party. That sounds awesome! Let's do it! Great, I'll go grab. You didn't let me finish. Dave, that's great! Let's do it! Right now! Right now? Right now! No, no, no. I still have to make the Twinkie Wiener sandwiches, vegan for you, and mix up the Yankaritas in the blender. I gotta head on over to Burrito Burrito and stock up on burritos. I gotta get the Twister board all set up. I need to send invitations out to all of our previous guests, and I need to actually write the invitations. I gotta call the Leper Colony. Let's see, I need to make sure the Super Duper Party Pony Cheese Sandwich will be available. It doesn't come cheap. Oh, I gotta get the CIA here! Oh, wait, we're good with that. They already know about it. Maybe we can do a live video chat with all that and our listeners next week. But right now, it's time to party. Party! So what are we going to do at this party? Well, I I just figured we could just, you know, sit around and and take a few hours and just, you know, we'll talk about every guest we've ever had on the podcast in this past year. Every guest? That's only going to take a few hours? We can make it a game. Oh, I love games. What if it took us two days, seven hours, 27 minutes, and 27 seconds exactly to talk about all of our guests? We could each win a prize, like maybe some ice cream? Oh, I like that! I like that a lot! I don't know that I have two days, seven hours, 27 minutes, and 27 seconds, though, Dave. Looking at my calendar, I really only have time for two days, seven hours, 26 minutes, and 30 seconds. Oh, I've got it! We can make it quick. We'll make it quick. I'll read you a guest name, and then as quick as possible, Dave, you tell me something about them, why they're on, what they did, and if you get stuck, you just say pass, and we'll come back to it. And if you get really stuck, we can phone a friend. We'll switch off. I love it. Let's do it. Alison Parsons. She helped us with our Off the Deep End Top 5. Annie Stoll and Megan Foley. The Grammy-winning Squeezebox art team. Chad Kelson. That's Metal Al. Chris Ballou. From the Presidents of the United States of America. Craig Billmeyer, a.k.a. Hotlicks Hulahan. Your mother's frontman and air guitar champion. Dave Hill. Comedian, musician, actor, author, podcaster. David Bowe. Played Bob in UHF. Derwood Bowen. Wrote his own polka for even worse. Devo Spice. Comedy musician behind the thump. Elliot Chang. National comedy headliner. Eric Roth. Strings Attached Tour Conductor. Evan Gregory and Michael Gregory. They're the Gregory Brothers. Frank from the Bank Sanchez. He plays bass guitar on the Placebo EP. Jackie Rossi. Gotta pass. Jason Alchel. Al redid his room. Jeff Nucera, a.k.a. UH Jeff. He helped with our UHF soundtrack top five and gets Al's mail. Jim Kimo West. Al's guitar player. He also did our theme song and was our very first guest. John Dupre. He wrote the UHF score. John Gurley and Zach Carruthers. Portugal the Man. John Bermuda Schwartz. Al's drummer and historian. 
Jonah Ray, host of Mystery Science Theater 3000, and we interviewed him live. Judy Tenuta, the love goddess herself. J.W. Halford, VIP host at Weird Al's concerts. Kelly Phillips, she helped us with our top five album arts, and she drew our caricature. Kyle Carosa, a.k.a. TV's Kyle. He does funny music and mighty magiswords. Lily Hirsch, she wrote Weird Al seriously. Lisa Popeil, amazing backup singer. Marnie Farlow, queen of merchandise. MC Lars, nerdcore rapper. Mike Duquette, Squeezebox editorial supervisor. Mr. Lawrence, he drew the food album cover and he voices Plankton. Ruben Valtiera. He's the new guy in Al's band. Russ McGarry. He did Al's Behind the Music and he produced a special about my Weird Al tattoo. Sam Anderson. He wrote the New York Times Magazine article. Scott O'Neill. Weird Al orchestrator and Red Rocks Amphitheater conductor. Scott Rogowski. Quiz Daddy, the original host of HQ Trivia. Sean James. Al's hair and makeup artist. Cheryl Northrup. Al's former publicist. Susan McNabb. Mustached and leggy dancer in the UHF music video. Tim Thompson. Director for Lame Claim the Fame music video. Vicky DeVry. She was my Weird Al star co-compatriot. William Anderson. Stupid tour musician, and he worked on My Little Pony. And you passed on Jackie Rossi. I'd like to phone a friend. She's your wife. Good idea. I'll phone my wife. All right. There's just one more name to add to the list. Dr. Demento. Our next guest needs no introduction, but I will do my best. The great Dr. Demento has been celebrating mad music and crazy comedy on his weekly Dr. Demento show for 50 years. He's in the National Radio Hall of Fame. He spoke at Weird Al's Hollywood Star Ceremony, and he helped launch the career of Weird Al Yankovic. And without Weird Al, there would be no Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast. His list of accolades would take me the rest of this episode to list. So on behalf of all the Dementites and Dementoids, it is our great pleasure to welcome an icon in comedy music to our podcast. Welcome, Dr. Demento. Oh, hey, hey. Great to be with you. It's so great to chat with you, Dr. D. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. One thing I really want to talk to you about is recently you just redesigned drdemento.com to coincide with your 50th anniversary of the Dr. Demento show. The website is great. It's got a new look. It's got great new features on there. Can you tell us what it is like to be on the air for 50 years? We're just a brand new podcast. We're just on the air for one year as of right now. But what is it like to be on for 50 years? Well, it's it's certainly changed over the course of those 50 years. Uh, Weird Al was uh, 11 years old when I started the show. <laughs> and I was 29, actually. And so a lot of things have changed since then, like a rap music, for instance, didn't exist when I started in 1970. It didn't really get going until 1979 or 1980 or so. And lots of other musical trends have come and gone. The Beatles are still around, of course. Uh, the <laughs> Beatles were still together when I started the show, in fact. <laughs> And at what point during your show did you become Dr. Demento? I know you, you, you weren't originally doing the novelty music. Yeah, well, I, I was Dr. Demento starting with about the second or third time I was on the air. Uh, I started out as a guest on Stephen Clean's radio show, the obscene Stephen Clean. He was one of the pioneers of so-called underground radio, and uh, I got to know him through friends and started hanging out with him. He came to my house and saw a bunch of my records. Uh, I took him into the library and he saw the treasures that I had within the trash and treasures. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Both of them became part of the Dr. Demento show, the trash and the treasures, of course. <laughs> so anyway, he said, you got to bring some of these down to my station where I'm at, KPPC in Pasadena, California. you got to play some of these on my show. And I said, well, sure, I'd be happy to. And uh, it was about the third time that I guested on Stephen's show that credit where credit's due. He came up with the name Dr. Demento. Uh, wow. There are different stories of exactly how that came to be, depending on who's talking and uh, how, how, how good our memories feel, but uh, it, it, was, it was interesting. But anyway, it started out as a rock and roll oldies show, rare rock and roll oldies. Mm. Not the things that everybody normally heard on an oldie station at that time, but different things, uh, like 
Sly and the Family Stone was about as hot as any act was in 1970. They had a bunch of hits. But Sly Stone, Sylvester Stewart, his real name, had been making records for some time, for about eight years. And none of those records had sold very well, but a couple of them are kind of fun and interesting. So I would play things like that. This is what Sylvester Stewart sounded like before he became Sly Stone. Mm. Or I'd play just things like the original blues records of songs that the Rolling Stones had made popular. Before the Stones started doing mainly their own stuff on their first couple of albums, the Stones were mainly a cover band, but covering blues and R&B. Oh, wow. So <laughs> doing their, their, their own interpretation of that music. How long into the show would you say you started really focusing on the novelty comedy type music? From the very first show that I was on as Stephen Clean's guest, I played some novelty records, one or two for each show, and then those seemed to go over well with the listeners, so it would be three or four on each show, and <laughs> by six months it was half the show, and then it became nearly all the show, as it still <laughs> is today. Of course, novelty is defined very, very broadly. Right. Oh, yeah. Anything that's funny or bizarre can be grist for the Dr. Demento's novelty record mill. <laughs> now, you've done like easily over a thousand shows. Do you have any idea how many different songs you possibly have played on all those shows over 50 years? I, I just say over 10,000. Wow. <laughs> wow. And you also mentioned your impressive record collection that you have. I know it was probably a little bit smaller 50 years ago, but do you have any idea how big that is today? Certainly in six figures. Whoa. Wow. <laughs> oh, counting again all the trash and treasures. <laughs> and counting just records of normal music. Right. Wow. Wow, that's incredible. <laughs> I thought I had a big collection. <laughs> I certainly was, was a fan of the rock music that was coming out of, at the time that I started the show in the 70s, and I'd been a big fan of rock music before that for some time, starting actually when, when I was a kid in junior high school. That's when rock and roll really got started, 1954, 1955. Blue Suede Shoes was something that came out by Carl Perkins, 1956, and I loved that, and I loved Elvis. Elvis made his first records in 54, and I heard those just about from the beginning, and I thought, well, he was just great. And then there was Bill Haley and his Comets, the Clovers and the Drifters and so on, and uh, the Coasters, of course, who, who did novelty music. Then I continued to be a fan of rock music as it developed through the years, after that, as we got into the 60s, when the Beatles and the Stones came in, and before that, Motown came in, and that was a big, big deal when that started coming on. So I'm curious with your collection, are you still actively searching for items or things that have eluded you for years? Yeah, mostly online, though. I mean, it's amazing how much is on YouTube these <laughs> <Yeah>. days. <laughs> Just the idea of collecting in general, how that changed with the internet, and that you 50 years ago, I'm sure you were digging through record stores and finding these treasures, right? Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, now you just do a quick internet search and you have a choice of five or six different ones that you can order right online and have them delivered right to your front door. Yes. <laughs> uh, and that, that's just talking about the physical records. Right. <laughs> you just go to YouTube and uh, hear it right away and... Uh, right. My collection really started, well, my folks had a lot of records, mostly classical, but uh, they had some folk music. And, and when I was four years old, my dad brought home a Spike Jones record, Cocktails for Two, which was his biggest hit and brand new at the time. Mm -hmm. So I fell in love with that. And uh, so my dad obliged and bought me you know, half a dozen or eight or 10 more Spike Jones records. And so I became very fond of those. And then I discovered the Salvation Army store when I was in seventh grade, mm. 13 years old. <laughs> and the Salvation Army store, I, I had never really thought to go in there, but then they put out a sign one day that said, records, half price, two for five cents. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so I think I had about a dollar in my pocket. I could buy 40 records. So. Wow. <laughs> 
So I, I became I became a regular shopper at the Salvation Army and the Goodwill, as well as stores around town that sold records that had been taken off jukeboxes. Mm. Uh, so that helped me to expand my collection faster than I could just, uh, you know, if I had to buy all the records for a dollar a piece, which was what they were going for, that 89 cents, I couldn't buy very many because my allowance was only $3 a week. Mm. <laughs> And then I became a huge fan of Chicago blues music, Muddy Waters, Little Walter, Jimmy Reed, people like that. Starting uh, when I was in ninth grade, 1955, the tail end of 54, some of the first records I got in that style. And I got to really enjoy that kind of music. It was as loud and energetic <laughs> as rock and roll, but it was more serious. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Most of it. It seemed like it was more adult more more for grown-ups so i like that part of it too now i want to jump ahead a little bit to the first time that weird al sent you something to play on the radio do you remember what he sent you yeah it was a cassette of a song called belvedere cruising <laughs> which was all about <laughs> driving around the streets of linwood california the suburb that he lived in with his family <laughs> <laughs> and at first it was just about riding around in the back seat of the Belvedere with his family. Then eventually the family got a new car, and so Al inherited the Belvedere. That was his car. That was still the car that he was driving when I first met him. Wow. <laughs> I was giving a talk at Linwood High School. I'd go around to different high schools and give some talks. I probably did 25 or 30 high schools just for free, and I'd do assemblies, and I'd play them some of the early examples of funny music from my show and kind of give a, a talk about what funny music was like, and I'd play some of the things that I played on my show, like Alan Sherman, Stan Freeberg, Cheech and Chong, maybe. Uh, not too much of them for high schools. Right. But, uh, <laughs> and Al who was, let's see, he would have been about 15 or 16 when I gave that talk, 15. So a year later, he sent me a tape of this song called Belvedere Cruising. And what was your first impression upon putting the tape in the cassette player and listening to it? The first thing I noticed was the accordion. It was unusual, to say the least, to have <laughs> a fairly hip-sounding 16-year-old singing with an accordion. I mean, it was always a guitar or maybe a piano, but an accordion, that was, that was just for polkas and for, like, Dick Contino and people who played fancy solos that had no rock and roll content. <laughs> but to hear Al play a rock-styled accompaniment to this song that he had made up called Belvedere Cruising. Of course, I later learned that Al had learned to do that primarily by playing along with Elton John records until he got them right. So that developed his basic style in the early days. And do you have any idea how long between you actually receiving the tape, listening to it for the first time, between then and actually playing it on the radio? Oh, a week, maybe. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. Yeah, I realized right away it was something pretty good, something more outstanding, funnier, and he was able to make his voice and his accordion balanced outright from that very first tape. He got that down, and that's something that a lot of people could never get right until they'd had a lot lots and lots of practice or never get it right at all. Mm -hmm. But Al had charisma that came across on that tape from the very first one. And of course, after a while, the songs just kept getting better and better. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I played uh, three or four and then then he sent me my Bologna, which was head and shoulders above everything else he'd sent me so far. Now back to that original tape. You know, obviously Dave and I were big Weird Al super fan. We're super collectors. That tape is literally the holy grail of a Weird Al collector. And I would love to know, at what point do you realize that this tape is something special? Like, is it when My Bologna happens? Is it when... Running with Scissors comes out. When does it become this thing is special? Al just kept getting more special all the time. I mean, Belvedere Cruising was something special. The second song he sent me was School Cafeteria, and that was something that any kid or anybody who was once a kid could relate to. And, and so that was a little more special. And then skip ahead a year, and there's My Bologna, which is really special. 
not the first parody he ever did, but the first one that really established him as a, a master of parody. And then uh, a year later, there was another one, Rides the Bus, which was bigger still. And, and then after that, he signed with Rock and Roll Records and did Ricky and the whole first album. And that was another step up. And then, of course, Eat It, another step up. <laughs> Every year, it seemed that Al learned to do something new on his own, either with the, <laughs> the way he arranged and performed his music, or just, uh, well, like uh, his first videos, of course, were produced by his manager, Jay Levy, but then after a while, Al got to direct his own videos, too, and he, he just observed carefully and taught himself to do it, like he's taught himself to do so many things in yeah. his life. <laughs> What I'm really curious about is the actual physical tape itself. At what point does that go from, oh yeah, that's in my closet, to, oh my God, I need to put this in a bulletproof, hermetically sealed case? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, my Bologna was the first one on reel-to-reel tape, so that signified that uh, he was more in control and starting to learn something about really how to produce things on tape, even then. So, yeah, I mean, they've, I've always uh, treasured Al's tapes. They're uh, in this room where I'm standing in, but... Uh... <laughs> I would love to hear about the bulletproof case, the retina scan. <laughs> I would love to hear about how this is stored, these relics of Weird Al's career. I, I imagine, you know, you have spoken with the Smithsonian about proper care techniques and storage. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. You just you just have to be reasonably careful of, of things. Reel-to-reel tapes are actually more sensitive than, than others, than cassettes, and, and certainly than any kind of record. Yeah. I mean, r- records, you can wear out, you can break them, but they're not going to deteriorate on their own like reel-to-reel tapes do. And that was the main way in which uh, people who were serious about funny music would give stuff to me through the 70s because reel-to-reel tapes were better fidelity than anything else you could make at home. Right. And and was also the same medium, of course, used for recordings for major labels, minor labels, in other words, serious record releases. So by the time that Al was sending you school cafeteria, had you met him in person yet? I had been in the same room with him at Linwood High School, but uh, <laughs> right. but he, he did not meet me. He said he was too shy. So when was it that you actually did finally get to meet the young Alfred Yankovic? It was about three months after I played Belvedere Cruising. Mm. He had sent me several tapes, so I invited him up to the station. Wow. It was live on station KMET and. Uh, he came up dressed in a suit and tie, as I recall, <laughs> which was, I think, the only time I saw him in a suit and tie until his wedding. <laughs> so what was your first reaction, you know, to meeting this teenager, you know, dressed in a suit and tie, you know, coming to you and giving you these great, awesome novelty <laughs> tunes? Well, I I realized that he wanted to make a good impression. And, uh, of course, it was his parents that insisted he (laughs) put on something nice to wear, not realizing the informality of KMET radio. (laughs) Sure. They thought, this is a big radio station. Everybody wears suits. At least our son ought to wear a suit when he goes up there. So I guess by the second time that you've met Al, he was out of his suit and in something a lot more casual. Yes, right. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) He hadn't quite developed the Hawaiian shirts yet. Those would come later. (laughs) But if you see pictures of him, like the 3D tour or the tour before that, he had another kind of colorful stage where he, from the very first time that he started doing concerts, that people paid money to see, whether being the featured attraction with the Dr. Demento show or occasionally on with other people. From the time when he was doing concerts that people paid money to see, he always wanted to have something nice. I mean by something nice, I mean something that was colorful and unique. So I don't know who made the clothes that he wore. I have never asked him (laughs) who made the clothes that he wore for like the first couple of tours before he got into the Hawaiian stuff. But somebody who could sew pretty well. They were definitely homemade in a nice way. 
So one of the great features of the new drdemento.com website is that it has over a thousand archive episodes that you can stream online and it's a monthly subscription and there are a lot of great episodes in there and you also get access to the new episode that you do every week. But one of the episodes that is a very important episode in Weird Al history is the September 14th, 1980 episode where you invited Al into the studio and you guys recorded Another One Rides the Bus. Yes, indeed. That was a very exciting for me. I'm sure it was exciting for him and very exciting for me. It was uh, probably, oh, maybe along with the interview I did with John Cleese, it would be the, the highlights of all the live shows that I did. <laughs> it just so happened that a uh, couple of the other people who were on the show, Damascus, for instance, and Beefalo Bill. Beefalo Bill's mother owned a cabin in the mountains at that time, and she invited us, several of the cast members of the Dr. Demento show, to come up and spend a, a weekend in the mountains, this cabin. And meanwhile, Al would go and sit in a corner with this big blue loose-leaf notebook that he had at that time. And what he was doing, he wouldn't tell us at first, but finally at the end of the weekend he said, well, I've written a new song and I'd like to do it tonight on the show if I can. And by that time I, I knew that Al would give a decent performance, so I didn't right. <laughs> have to audition at first. He had uh, Beefalo Bill and Sulu and Damascus singing along with him, and he also had, very importantly... John Bermuda Schwartz playing the accordion case with him <laughs> because he realized that it would be nice to have a drum section, especially since John was already a professional drummer by that time. So, of course, there were no drums, though. Right. <laughs> so John banged on Al's accordion case. And that was how Another One Rides the Bus made its debut. <laughs> And the first take was just great. And I fortunately figured out how to record it in stereo right there in the broadcast booth. And so we got a nice stereo tape of it. And that is the tape that you hear whenever you hear another one rides the bus. It's on the first album just that way. They tried to do it again, but uh, just that that was the take. So Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that is iconic. And we, as Weird Al fans, thank you for having the foresight to record that very special moment in Al's career. Yes. Well, <laughs> Al and I have thanked each other, too, for that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It was it was just something that was was a moment, a moment to treasure. Thankfully, we were able to treasure it on that tape. And so why was John Bermuda Schwartz in the studio? Was he a guest or was he part of the cast? Yeah, he was a guest. He had made a few tapes of his band. There were a couple of them that I'd played on the show, Give a Hoot, Don't Pollute. <laughs> he had a couple of other songs that they did, too. They didn't perform them live, but I kind of felt that the audience might enjoy hearing a little bit about who this man was who had made these tapes, and I'd never met John before. But he came on and in the early part of the show, and then once, once that was done, they started rehearsing Another One Rides the Bus out in the hall. And I just hear little bits of it now and then when the door opened or something right. like that. But it was new to me when Al actually performed it. I knew that it was a parody of Another One Bites the Dust, but uh, that was about all I knew. But it was every bit as wonderful as I'd hoped it might be. Another really awesome thing on the newly refreshed website, drdemento.com, is this amazing exclusive merchandise. You know, Dave and I, obviously, as big hmm. collectors, we're merchandise guys. So the vinyl slip mat, the t-shirts, the classic bumper stickers, the keychain... There is some really cool stuff on there. Uh, some of it's stuff that's been in my closets for a number of years. <laughs> but the new line of T-shirts and other stuff. I have to thank my manager, John Caffiero, for getting that together. They are so cool. and Yeah. I've been a fan of your merchandise since I was a kid. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> which isn't as long as, as other people. I'm, I'm a bit younger than some other big Weird Al and Dr. Demento fans, but ever since I was able to spend my own money on Weird Al and Dr. Demento merch, the stuff that I always was trying to find was, of course, the Dr. Demento basement tapes, which 
or just a crown jewel in any Weird Al or novelty music collection. What was the story behind actually starting the basement tapes and the membership? Well, my manager at that time, the guy who distributed my radio show at that time in the uh, early 90s, got the idea that I should refresh my fan club package. And instead of doing a t-shirt, which I'd done, oh, since the 70s, since I'd only been on the air a couple of years, he decided, let's have CDs. And he realized that I played all these unreleased tapes by people who were unsigned, not signed to any record company or anything. Mm -hmm. So he said, well, why don't you see if some of these people will let us use their song on your basement tapes? And I did that, and about 95% of them said, yes, we'll let you use our song. So the first basement tape came out, and it was a pretty smashing success by my standards. Yeah. yeah. And I think we went through a, a couple thousand of those. So that became a thing that we did every year for the next 17 years. And those are great. Starting with the second Basement Tapes, you started putting some very rare, unreleased Weird Al tunes on there. Can you tell us a little bit about how those came to be? Those were all things that were done before he signed his record deal with Rock and Roll Records. I mean, the things he did from that point on, they were covered by his contract with Rock and Roll Records. Yeah, were there any tunes that you had asked Al about that he said, I'm not comfortable releasing? Uh, no, not really. I mean, there were some, like any artist who's starting out, uh, not every note that he did was golden, and he realized that. <laughs> I realized it, too. I wasn't going to put something out that he was embarrassed by, for heaven's sakes. No, there's a lot of charm in a lot of those old demo-type recordings that you yes, want to present right. them exactly as, as they were presented when you first heard them. Mm-hmm. I was always curious about Dr. D Superstar from that original tape he sent you. Why was that never played or released in its entirety? Well, I just thought it wasn't his best material, that's yeah. all. <laughs> I mean, any artist, when they're starting out, puts some things on tape that they soon realized is not their best work. Mm-hmm. But even looking back all these years later, 40 plus years later, has there ever been a conversation with Al or, or a thought to, hey, we should put this out for posterity's sake? Well, that's up to him, you know? Yeah. That, that's, that's strictly up to him. I mean, he gave us the medium rarities volume, the big accordion box set. Right. So that's probably as much as he feels comfortable about getting into the... He, he's not, he's not going to put out anything else. Now, looking back at Al's career and, and all of the over 200 songs he's put out, you know, are there any that you feel maybe didn't get enough credit or enough attention from the general public? Oh, no. I think every song that really deserved to be heard is being heard, you know. An album comes out, like, say, the Alpocalypse album, and there's all the tracks that are on it. Everybody who's a, a true Weird Al fan is going to get a chance to hear those tracks. So there's nothing, I, I would say, that hasn't been recognized by the public that really deserves to be among the, the very top of the pack. There's no hidden gem in Al's discography. No, there's, there's just because just there's nothing hidden. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great point. So I'm curious. I mean, obviously you've heard all of Weird Al's songs. You're very familiar with them. You know, has anyone ever asked you, what is your personal favorite Weird Al song? Well, I have to say, Another One Rides the Bus. Maybe <laughs> not necessarily the the best thing that he ever, ever, ever did. But it is something that was a special moment in his career, special moment in my career, and we experienced it together. Mm -hmm. So that's got to be extra special. Okay, yeah, that's a, that's a great song. That's a great answer. And I do want to jump ahead a little bit now. On your most recent CD, Dr. Nemento, Covered in Punk, mm -hmm. Weird Al has a cover song of the Ramones song, uh, Beat on the Brat. Yes. That album is amazing there are so many different artists so many great cover songs and segments I, I would love to hear where did the idea for that release come from credit where credit is due john caffiero thought up the whole idea and produced the tracks sometimes in conjunction with other people but the, the whole idea everything you see and hear on that album comes from john caffiero of course it's my selections the tunes that i've played on the show over the years that inspired all these artists to cover them in their different amusing and amazing ways yeah i mean you got some great artists on here i mean you have some fun artists on here you have william shatner yeah. does a version of garbage man you know you have covers of dead 
dead puppies. You know, you have missing persons on here, the dead milkman. Yeah. You know, a lot of great yeah. artists on this yeah. album. Well, I'm very proud of the part that I played in it. But to say his name again, John Caffiero gets credit for the whole thing, including the artwork. He didn't design the artwork himself, but he's a great fan of album design and design in general and got some superstars to do the illustrations too. He first came to me with what just seemed to be a goofy idea and I wasn't quite sure whether it would really fit the bill or not and be the great album that it was. But it was revealed to me in stages. I mean, I liked everything he did. He'd produced probably two-thirds of the tracks before I ever heard one. Oh, wow. I put a lot of trust in him and he repaid it very nicely, I would say. The whole album took four years to put together. Whoa. So, of course, he was doing other things at the time, too, like working with the Misfits. Yeah, well, I think it paid off because that album debuted at the number one comedy album on Billboard. Yes, so, I mean, right. it's definitely something that any fan of Dr. Nemento, any fan of Weird Al, any fan of punk music needs to have in their collection for sure. Oh, yeah. yes. A little Easter egg that I love is that Al's Beat on the Brat is track number 27 on the second disc. Yes. I think that's right. yes. <laughs> yeah. extra, mm -hmm. extra juicy and special for Weird Al fans for something like that. Yes, right. You can find out more about that album on CoveredInPunk.com. Yes. Yeah, and also at CoveredInPunk.com, all these great merchandise. Again, with the merchandise, you know I love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Dr. Demento, enamel pin, a Weird Al Brat Beater t-shirt, different <laughs> versions yeah. of the vinyl, you know, signed posters, t-shirts. It is amazing. I, I think I have everything in the store at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just scrolling through right oh, now. Okay, well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> it's so amazing. And it, like you were saying, the artwork is just so good. And it's just, it's such a great representation of just the, the feeling of taking novelty music and, and what it means to someone like Dave or myself or, or you or, you know, a lot of Weird Al fans and really just putting this professional spin on it and, and beautiful packaging and beautiful production. It's just, it's really it shows that everything about Covered in Punk, it seems to be a, a labor of love and, and you guys really did a great job. Thank you so much. Now, Dr. Nementa, I've been lucky enough to see you give speeches a couple of times, do your live radio show up on stage a couple of times. But there was one mm -hmm. moment that is very, very special to me. And that happened on August 27, 2018, where you were one of the keynote speakers when Weird Al was getting his star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Oh, I want yes. to thank you for yeah. coming out and doing that. I know that was a great moment for Al. That was a great moment for the fans. But what that moment meant to you to see somebody that you helped i don't know if discover is the right word but you helped you know discover al you know and then to see him get the recognition that he was getting on that day and to be a part of it what was that day like for you oh glorious i mean what, what could i say certainly the most exciting thing that i did that year i think and uh, <laughs> yeah and uh, to see the the crowd out there up and down the street i understand it's the second biggest crowd they had all that year for a Walk of Fame installation. Oh, yeah, for sure. The crowd was huge. Somebody from Hollywood told me that most of the ceremonies get between 80 and 100 people, and that one had mm. easily 1,500 fans there that day. Yes. There's a really sweet moment in your speech where you bestowed your very famous top hat onto Al's head, and that was such a sweet <laughs> moment, <laughs> such a memorable yes. moment from that speech. I haven't done that often. <laughs> of all people, Al has deserved it. <laughs> yes, totally deserved it, yes. Well, that's a new thing, Dave, that we need to work towards. We need to earn the, the, the <laughs> Dr. Demento top hat. I feel like you should have an award ceremony, Dr. Demento. You should, you know, have a golden top hat, and every year you can, you know... <laughs> Like the Grammys, except more important for, for novelty musicians and, <laughs> yes. and Weird Al podcasts. <laughs> yes. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm hoping it doesn't take us 50 years to reach that moment where we get recognized. <laughs> Just while we're on uh, the topic of the star, I, I wanted to thank you, Dr. D, in a couple of your recent appearances. You've worn the Hollywood star pin that I sent you as part of your getup. Oh, you sent that. Oh, yes. right. So, okay. Very, yes. very thrilled to see, you know, your appearance. I'm like, hey, that's the pin. 
<laughs> that was very yeah. cool for me. So thank you for wearing that. Why, sure. Thank you for making it. Of course. So who is a Dr. Demento show regular that really needs to see more mainstream success? You know, who's the next Weird Al? Who's the next person that we really ought to be keeping our eye on? Well, uh, I have a soft spot in, in my heart for the music of Logan Whitehurst. Mm. Mm-hmm. I play him every so often. He's done some pretty up-tempo novelty songs, like The Robot Cat, probably his best-known song. <laughs> it's like, say, Randy Newman. I think of Logan as somebody who could have been like Randy Newman if he hadn't gotten cancer and, and mm. died. Right. But I really like his music a lot, and... Of course, there's lots of others. And to speak on Logan Whitehurst, there was a successful Kickstarter campaign to re-release his album, which was really cool. And I'm glad that that uh, was successful. That was, Mm -hmm. you know, definitely a step in the right direction, I think, for spreading his music to new generations. Yes. Mm -hmm. All right. I, I have a couple more questions about this infamous Holy Grail Dr. Demento tape from Weird Al. Sure. I hope you'll (laughs) indulge me. (laughs) So Dave and I, big collectors, we we talk about this tape quite a bit, uh, just to give you an insight into our lives. We we, obviously we feel that it's the Holy Grail. And in one certain discussion, Dave and I agreed that we would strongly consider trading the entirety of our entire giant Weird Al collections in exchange just for that tape, because that is how important it is. And have you have you gotten offers for this tape? I, I can just imagine that like the Smithsonian is is knocking on your door. Well, they ought to. But <laughs> I don't think it's quite on the Smithsonian's radar yet. We maybe need to all get a little bit older before that happens. But, but uh, it's just a cassette. And in fact, when he sent me the cassette of Belvedere Cruising, if that's the one you mean. Yes. It had nothing written on it, so I thought I'd better write what it is on the tape. So it's my writing. It's not Al's. Mm-hmm. Other than that, it's just a ordinary cheap cassette. <laughs> but it means so much more than just a cheap cassette. It's 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 such a symbol yeah. of you know Al and his career and, and the connection that you guys have had all, over the years. Yeah, well, it's it's not for sale. Even if someone offered a million dollars, I'm just curious. I don't have a million dollars. <laughs> Is there a number? <laughs> well, I think we ought to endow a museum <laughs> so that people can look at it. Yeah. For what it's worth. Right. We need a Weird Al museum or expand it. A whole novelty music museum, a Dr. Demento museum. I think that is the next campaign we should get behind, Dave. <laughs> Were there any times where you and Al were out on the road together doing some performance and something wacky happened? No, he, he tends to be pretty, not not serious, but uh, he's always been very polite to me. He's polite to everybody. You saw the strings attached to her that Al did last summer? Yeah, well, that was impressive. Uh, where, where I sat, I couldn't hear the strings very well, oh. but it was certainly an impressive <laughs> look on stage. Yeah. And, and it was it was giving Al, I, I mean, we were talking about the Smithsonian and how maybe they aren't quite as cognizant of Al as they should be. Well, the strings attached to her was another move in that direction, shall we say, of getting the <laughs> public at large to realize how important Al's music is. Now, I heard a rumor that after the show, you snuck into a couple people's photos with Weird Al. How cool is that? Oh, the, you mean I photobombed people's photos? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay. It just seemed normal at the time. I don't know yeah. if that even counts as a photobomb. If, you know, if Dr. Demento sneaks in my picture with Weird Al, that is like the most amazing picture that's ever been taken. <laughs> okay. Well, Dr. Nemento, we want to thank you so much for joining us for these amazing conversations we had. It was our pleasure to have you on as the final guest for our first season of Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast. Oh, my pleasure. Dave and Ethan, 2000-inch Weird Al podcast. Thank you so much for having me on and uh, letting me fit somewhere in the 2000 inches. It was so great to talk to Dr. Demento. Huge thanks to him. What an honor to be able to add him to the list of amazing guests we've had on the first year 
of Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al podcast. I still cannot get over the fact that he has in his possession, in the same room that he was talking to us in, <laughs> that amazing Belvedere cruising tape that the young Alfred Yankovic sent him. I would love to have a tour of Dr. Demento's archive sometime. It must be amazing. That Belvedere cruising tape would obviously be the highlight of any tour of Dr. Demento stuff, but I would love to see his amazing collection of music. I think it would take us exactly two days, seven hours, 27 minutes, and 27 seconds to see all of his amazing stuff. Would you look at all that stuff? I think until the Smithsonian comes and picks up that tape from Dr. Demento that he should really have it insured if he doesn't already. This week's episode brought to you in part by Don Ferlazzo Allstate Agency in Clifton Park, New York. If you drive like crazy or about to buy you a condo, Don Ferlazzo and his team can help you with crazy good auto, home, and renter's insurance. Plus, the Ferlazzo Agency can protect all of your priceless, rare Alfred Yankovic cassette tapes. You may think your insurance is good enough for now, but don't wait one more minute. Find the Ferlazzo Allstate on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or call 518-278-3543 for a free quote today. The Ferlazzo Agency. We sell insurance, and that's all. In addition to all of the absolutely incredible guests that we mentioned on this episode and we've had on the podcast in the past year, we want to give a huge shout out to all of our listeners who submitted their original music. We got countless covers and parodies of our theme song, original music. Yeah, our amazing listeners, they've left us concert reviews. They've shared with us news items. They've called in to leave us a message on our 347 spatula hotline. They submitted their own original artwork and other material for us to use both on and off of the air ever since dave and i started this podcast we've always wanted to be interactive and involve as many al fans as possible and you guys delivered we love hearing from our listeners and we love everything that you've shared with us over this past year to celebrate all that you guys have done for us and to celebrate our one-year anniversary, we have finally launched our Gill and Chill line of products over at shop.2000inch.com. And those were designed by our listener, Owen Watson. Another great example of how our listeners step up to the plate. We are giving you $3 off any item in the store. Gill and Chill, our logo shirts, beach towels, pillows, anything you want. $3 off with promo code one year. Head over to shop. Dot 2000 inch.com. Dave, I just ordered a pink Gill and Chill shirt for myself. I am definitely going to pick up one of those Gill and Chill tank tops, and for sure, I'm getting myself a Gill and Chill beach towel. Don't forget the Gill and Chillo. Ooh, I can get a Gill and Chillo, and I can lie on my beach towel and use the Gill and Chillo for my pillow. And as a special bonus, anyone who is a Patreon subscriber is getting a promo code for $5 off any item. So technically, for as little as $1, you can get a code for $5 off, which means you're making a dollar. I love when we talk math on the air. <laughs> Head on over to shop.2000inch.com for all these great items and more. Speaking of all the great things that our listeners do for us, a while back we asked our listeners to record their own takes on our ads, and once again, you guys stepped up and delivered. Vincent Anderson, he's read ads on the podcast before, he submitted this reading of the Burrito Burrito ad. This week's episode brought to you in part by vegan Mexican restaurant Burrito Burrito in Troy, New York. Home of the two-pound double wrapped in a quesadilla burrito burrito. Come on down to Burrito Burrito and Burrito Burrito, your burrito burrito. Find them at burritosquared.com and at Burrito Squared on Instagram. And remember, not every burrito is a burrito burrito burrito, but every burrito 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 can be burrito burritoed. If you want to get in on the fun, it's not too late to send something in. Just record yourself reading one of our ads and you might hear yourself on a future episode. We know you're all creative, so feel free to be as creative as you want. We are looking forward to seeing what you come up with and we know you guys know the words already, but if you need a little help, just hit us up and we'd be happy to send you a script to read from. Ethan, are you ready to share the big news? Yes! To celebrate our one-year anniversary, the fine folks over at Radio Radio X Experience Magazine in upstate New York just interviewed us for their May 2020 issue. 
and we're even listed on the cover. We are so excited for you to read the article where we discuss our love for Al and talk about our first year on the air with the podcast. You can head on over to RadioRadioX.com to read the article or we post a link over on our Facebook group, group.2000inch.com. And if you live in the Albany, Troy, Schenectady, New York area, be sure to pick up a copy. And you know who else lives in the Albany, Troy, Schenectady, New York area? Can I phone a friend? Dave Canyon! That guy's so funny! He should have a podcast! But what topics would he discuss on that podcast? Uh, family, friends, relationships, pop culture, workplace situations, politics, human behavior, eh, that kind of stuff. Oh, family, friends, relationships, pop culture, workplace situations, politics, and human behavior? He already has a podcast where he does that. This week's episode is brought to you in part by Dave Canyon's Dummy It Down with Dave podcast. It's the fastest podcast on earth. Dave Canyon records from his 2008 Kia Rio LX while commuting to and from work on the New York State Thruway. Listen to Dave discuss topics including family, friends, relationships, pop culture, workplace situation, politics, and human behavior. It's all about pragmatism, truth, happiness, and the search for it all. Dumbing It Down with Dave. Listen everywhere. Podcasts are available and on DumbingItDownWithDave.com. You know, each week we bring you this podcast absolutely free due to sponsors like Dave Canyon, Burrito Burrito, and Don Ferlazzo. And also every single one of our listeners who supports us over at patreon.com slash 2000inch. Patreon helps us pay the bills and ensures that we can continue doing what we love. And that's making a fun, family-friendly, entertaining podcast for you. If you enjoy the podcast and want to support us in making another year's worth of quality weekly Weird Al podcasts for your entertainment, please consider joining our Patreon family and supporting us or even sponsoring us over at patreon.com slash 2000inch. We have supporter tiers that start for as little as a dollar a month. And if you join before May 9th, you can get that code for $5 off at shop.2000inch.com. Thanks again to Dr. Demento for helping us celebrate a year on the air. And thank you to all of our listeners, all of our subscribers, and of course, all of our Patreon subscribers and sponsors over at patreon.com slash 2000inch. We want to thank everyone who follows us online at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at 2000inch. And those of you who've joined our Facebook group, it's group.2000inch.com. We love it when you join in the conversation. And of course, when you use hashtag 2000inch and hashtag Gill and Chill. We'd love to see your brand new Gill and Chill shirts and towels and Gill and Chillos, so keep those pictures coming. You can listen to every single episode we have ever done over at weirdalpodcast.com or 2000inch.com and make sure you share our posts, tell your friends about the podcast, and leave us a message to play on the air by calling our special hotline at 347-SPATULA. It is open 27 hours a day, so you have no excuse not to call. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or the podcast app of your choice. That way you don't miss a single episode of year two. Ethan, it's been such a blast doing this podcast with you for the past 52 episodes. I cannot wait to see what the future brings. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, listeners. Thanks, Al. Thanks, everyone. What an awesome first year. Let the party begin. Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al Podcast, episode 52-inch. Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al Podcast listeners, don't forget to stay demented. That goes for you too, Dave and Ethan.